We are uh, continuing our study in Matthew, and uh, if you will turn to Matthew 27, we're not going to get there right away. Um, So we'll have a number of verses up on the screen as we go, but our primary passage this morning is Matthew 27, 1 through 10. We're going to be looking at the life of Judas Iscariot. Luke, I'm wondering if we could turn the sound down a little bit. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. And so the Lord Jesus is taking the Old Testament law and applying it and saying, anger, angry speech, angry thoughts contain the fuel for murder. It's really the seed of murder. Um, Just one second. Luke, do we have the PowerPoint? Okay. Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so there again, he goes back to the Old Testament law, but he applies the law and says that the desire for an illicit relationship is the act already committed in the heart. Today, we're going to see that covetousness, greed, avarice, is betrayal in the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Today, we look at the life of Judas Iscariot. Early in Jesus' ministry, so we want to look first of all at his call. Jesus called disciples to himself. He gathered his disciples around him. Uh, There were hundreds of them. And after a night in prayer, he selected 12 to be his disciples, whom they are also called apostles in the scripture. I'm just going to take one verse, Mark, uh, well, it's a section, in Mark 3, 13 through 19. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. And then there's a list of the um, disciples that he called, and the final one on the list is found in verse 19, and Judas Iscariot who also betrayed him. It's interesting in the scripture that often when you see the list of disciples, you see Peter named first and Judas named last. And Judas almost always is accompanied by that phrase, um, who also betrayed him. So Judas was called by the Lord Jesus Christ to serve him, to serve uh, with the other disciples. Then we want to look now at his ministry. He went out two by two 
to uh, the cities in Israel, preaching that people should repent. And in Mark 6, 7, we read, And he called the twelve to himself, and began to send them out two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. It's interesting that um, the Lord didn't segregate Judas off to the side and say, okay, well, I know you're going to betray me, so I'm not going to give you anything to do. But instead, he was immersed in the full work of the gospel or the going out and preaching of the good news to the uh, people of Israel. He worked alongside of the other disciples. If you were to see them side by side, I don't think any of us could tell the difference between them. Obviously, facial differences, but as far as their work was concerned, I don't think we could see any difference between them. Even the disciples didn't see the difference. But he was sent out with them. And if you remember, the disciples went out two by two to the cities, and they were to preach the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord gave them power to uh, over unclean spirits. They actually cast demons out of people. And Judas was part of that uh, work. He also um, experienced the faithfulness of God as the disciples went out trusting the Lord. He said not to take with them extra things. Don't take an extra cloak. Don't take a uh, you know, sandwich with you. Just go out and trust me. Don't take an extra pair of shoes. And wherever you go, people will receive you and they will give to you. And when you come to a home like that, receive what they give you. Re receive it with thanksgiving, really. And uh, if people turn against you, you know, beat your sandals together and get, wipe the dust off, uh, off the sandals even from that town. But he went out and he saw, he experienced the faithfulness of God providing for their daily needs, just like the children of Israel did in the wilderness. Like I said, he was among others who cast out demons in Mark 6.13. In Mark 6.13, we also read that he, along with the others, anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Boy, we could use a ministry like that today. <laughs> All of us are falling apart, and uh, it'd be great to have that ministry uh, alive and well today. Judas also um, walked with the Lord Jesus Christ in, for three and a half years. He witnessed um, Jesus feed 5,000 men plus women and children with just five loaves and two fish. Judas saw Jesus feed 4,000 men with seven loaves of bread in Mark 8. Judas was in the boat that Jesus said, go to the other side. Jesus went up into the mountain to pray, and as they were rowing across the lake, they, a tempestuous, tempestuous storm arose on the lake, and they thought they were going to drown. They thought they were going to sink. And Jesus came down from the mountain and walked out on the water to the boat. And Judas was a witness of this. He saw Jesus do this. He, along with the others, was afraid. And he, along with the others, called out to the Lord to save them. Lord, save us. And he witnessed Jesus speak to the winds and the waves, and they obeyed his voice. Who else could that be but God? And the sea was calm. He watched as Jesus healed the sick, made the blind see, the lame walk, the dumb speak, and raised the dead. 
He saw Lazarus come forth from the grave after having been dead and bound in grave clothes. He saw Legion delivered from demonic control. And Judas also had the special ministry of being the treasurer. So as they went out and they served the Lord and as they preached the gospel, there were some who were very favorable to Jesus and very favorable to the disciples and recognized that a laborer is worthy of his hire. And so they actually provided money to them. Judas was the one in charge of the treasury of the band of disciples. And he was the one who kept the, 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 money, the money box or the money bag or whatever it was, the money box, yeah. And when he saw, you remember the story of the woman who came to Jesus and had the costly alabaster box of ointment and she broke it and she poured it out upon Jesus and it was worth a year's salary. And he was the one who said, why this waste? And so you can see the man holding the money, uh, the money box and he's looking at this woman giving everything she had to Jesus out of love for him. And he says, why this waste? But then he said, you know, to kind of keep it on the up and up, this money, could, this, this oil could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And the Bible is very specific when it says, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he used to steal money from the money box, and he used to uh, take what was put in it. Jesus was the light of the world, and Judas was in darkness. Judas never personally trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord, and Judas was living for himself. He actually looked at or took this as an opportunity to line his pockets with the money that was given to the uh, band of disciples. And there are two incredible truths that we must take into consideration when we think about Judas. It is incredible how close someone can be to the Savior and yet not be saved. And it is also incredible how far someone can be from the Lord and yet still be saved. Last week we looked at Peter. Peter denied the Lord. Peter denied the Lord three times. He denied the Lord with oaths and curses. And at that moment, he was far, far from the Lord. But he was still saved. And he did repent. And he turned back to the Lord. And he served the Lord. Never happened with Judas. Judas was close to the Lord Jesus. As close as anybody could be on earth and yet was not saved. Well, let's take a look. The next uh, thing I want to look at is that his betrayal was foretold. In Psalm 41, verse 9, we read this, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. In John 6, Jesus predicted... Uh, verses 61 through 67, pardon me, through 71. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. And that's actually interesting. The, the word a, the letter a before devil, is actually not there. And one of you is devil. In other words, you are the devil. And not that he was Satan, but he would become um, uh, possessed by Satan. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus, once again, predicted that, uh, or foretold his betrayal in, in John 13, 10. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. This is when he was washing the disciples' feet. You are clean, he says, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Jesus again predicted it in John 13, 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. John 13, 25, once again, the Lord predicts uh, his betrayal. Then leaning on Jesus' breast, John said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So the scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, predict the betrayal by Judas. And the Lord was very clear to point it out, uh, or to point out that it was Judas who would betray him. And yet the other disciples really didn't recognize that, even in the midst of multiple um, uh, comments by the Lord at the Last Supper. So next we want to look at the betrayal of Jesus how he went about betraying the Lord. Well, the feast of the Passover was approaching, and Judas went to the chief priests and officers and put Jesus up for sale. His treachery was concealed to the other disciples, but Jesus is omniscient. He's God. And he knew exactly what Judas had done. Imagine going to the enemies of the Lord Jesus and asking them to set a price on the head of Jesus. And they were glad for the opportunity. They were actually looking for an opportunity, and he gave it to them um, in spades. And offered, he, they offered him 30 pieces of silver to deliver Jesus over to them away from the crowds. This was in fulfillment of Zechariah Chapter 11, verses 12 and 13. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. That particular passage, you actually have the beginning of the um, bargain as, as Judas was bargaining a price for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have the ending when Judas ultimately throws that money back to or back into the temple uh, at the end. We'll get to that in just a minute. 
Jesus had already indicated that one of his disciples was like Satan, a liar, a deceiver, one who comes only to kill and to destroy. And now in Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6, we have Satan taking possession of Judas. He is now demon-possessed, and the demon is Satan himself. In Luke 22, 3, it says, Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him um, to, to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Satan gained complete control over Judas for the first time. And Judas was only too happy to do his bidding. You see, money was the object of Judas' love. And Satan was eager to give Judas what he wanted if ultimately Judas would do his bidding. And Satan is like that, isn't he? He'll offer you things that you want, that you desire, only to get you to do his bidding. But after you've done his bidding, he tosses you away like a dirty rag. You may get what he's offering, as Judas did, but at what an awful cost. It cost him his eternal soul. His eternity vanished. For what price? For 30 pieces of silver. Then Judas met up with the Lord Jesus and the other disciples for the feast of the Passover. And there in the upper room, as they reclined to eat the Passover supper, we read this from John 13:1. Jesus loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And boy, this is, if there's ever a contrast, this is it. Here Judas is doing his dastardly deed out of essentially love for money, hatred for people, hatred for the Lord, hatred for the woman who gave the Lord the alabaster flask of ointment, hatred for them, love for money. And here we see the contrast as Jesus enters this upper room. Jesus loved his own to the end. And as you look at this passage, it's clear that Jesus loved Judas. That's incredible because he knew what Judas was about to do or had already done in uh, making the bargain. John writes these ominous words in John 13 2, and supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Judas was possessed by Satan. And now you see Satan controlling the heart of the one who would betray him. Satan had gained access and his heart was now hardened forever. Although the Lord Jesus is about to show Judas grace upon grace, Judas will not be won over by the greatest evangelist who has ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. God is an evangelist. Did you know that? He came, Jesus said, I come to seek and to save those who are lost. And if anyone was lost in this picture, it was Judas. Jesus came to save him. And Judas came to betray him. The love that Jesus showed him is astounding. 
but Judas' heart is withered and cold to his love. In Luke twenty-two seventeen, we read, Then he, Jesus, took the cup and gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them. This is a holy moment, saints. We remember it each week. This is my body, not that the bread is his body, but it's a picture of, the body, of his body being given uh, for them, including for Judas. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. My blood is shed for you. Judas is in the room. He's listening to what the Lord Jesus is saying. And then Jesus no sooner says those words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. Wow. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. The lovely Savior contrasts what he is about to suffer on the cross by giving his life for those who are lost. His body would be given for you, it says in the scripture. His blood is shed for you. Yet the one who was betraying him was right there at the table seated with him. Then we read that Jesus arose after this from the table, and he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. It's an act of humility. It's an act of service. Have you ever washed someone's feet? I have literally washed people's feet. People who didn't like me. And Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, all of whom loved him, but he also washed Judas' feet. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. <laughs> Peter changed. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Obviously, we, we know the teaching of this passage is that salvation uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, cleanses us completely from all of our sin. Our, the penalty of our sin is paid in full. That's the full washing. But you say, well, what about the feet cleaning? What does that have to do with? Well, we still walk in this world, and we get our feet dirty. We still sin, and the Lord needs to wash our feet. And we are so grateful that we have a passage of Scripture that washes our feet. You know, we come to the Scripture 
And uh, it says, uh, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's feet washing again. It's the washing away, once again, of the daily sin that uh, so easily besets us. And he says, you're, he's talking to the whole group of disciples. You're all clean. All of you. But not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. Imagine that. God left heaven and he came to this earth as a baby, born in a stable in Bethlehem, walked among us in poverty, humbled himself and served his own disciples, washed their feet and wiped them out of love, out of kindness, and with joy, I'm sure. He humbled himself and ultimately became obedient to death, even death on the cross for us. The teaching of that passage in Philippians tells us, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's really what the Lord is saying here to us as well, that this passage is designed not just to say, oh, that's a neat story, what Jesus did in the upper room. It's about how we need to wash one another's feet. How can we serve you? How can I serve you? Jesus humbled himself and washed his betrayer's feet. Did it melt Judas' heart? No, he hardened his heart. There are only moments left for Judas to finally repent of his sin, but instead he hardens his heart Satan was gaining the victory over the soul of this selfish man. And after washing his disciples' feet, Jesus said in John 13, 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he, that I am God, really. Most assuredly, I say to you, <clears throat> he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. They weren't aware it was Judas. Jesus was troubled in spirit over the treachery that was about to take place. The horror of hell that awaits an unrepentant sinner is enough to trouble the heart of God. It so troubled the heart of God that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And here... Jesus, I'm sure, is thinking about what Judas is about to do that is going to permanently seal his eternal fate. And he's troubled in spirit. His longing, what is the longing of God? The longing of God is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For that is the love of God towards all sinners, including Judas. But each person in this room and on this planet has a choice. 
And Judas made the choice to reject the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. And to betray the one who loved him and was about to give his life for him. Jesus was troubled in spirit. They returned to the table to eat. And John leaned against Jesus' breast. And John was probably the closest one to Jesus. Some say that he leaned against Jesus' breast to hear his heartbeat, to know the heartbeat of the living God. And Jesus reveals who the betrayer is. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish shall betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. Did Judas not know it was him? He had just made the deal before coming to this supper. Of course he knew. This is his deceitfulness. It's hypocrisy. But Jesus said, it is you. Yes, you have said it. In John 13, 23, we read now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, that's John, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. By the way, this dipping of the bread is in a particular sauce or gravy, and dipping it in the gravy and giving it to someone is an act of kindness, it is an act of friendship, it is an act of showing someone that you love them. That's actually what Jesus is doing here. And he dips it, the bread in this gravy, and he hands it to Judas. Having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread entered him, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. The disciples still did not perceive that Jesus was speaking about Judas being the betrayer, which underscores the fact that he blended in with them just like the rest. They never suspected a thing. But Jesus was speaking directly to Judas when he offered him the bread that had been dipped as a gesture of love and friendship. Once again, Jesus was appealing to Judas to repent, and Judas did not. Judas was completely hardened, and once again, Satan entered into Judas to possess him until the end. So as we read, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. This is the second time that Satan entered into Judas to perform his bidding. And having received the bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Judas was in the warmth of Jesus' presence and in the love that's, that was contained in that upper room. 
Judas forsook the love and affection of the Lord Jesus who offered salvation to him and out, out through the door and into the cold, dark night, he hurried down the cobblestone lanes and the shadows to commit his act of betrayal. He gathered the chief priests together and the religious rulers and the Roman cohort to take them to the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew Jesus would ultimately go. He must have held his outer garment tight around him that night because we read later in the scripture that it was cold and that uh, when Jesus was on trial that they lit a fire to stay warm. And so he must have gathered his outer garments close to him to warm himself up as the chill ran down his spine. For it was cold and it was dark, just like Judas' heart. Judas brought the crowd to the place in the garden where he knew Jesus would be and betrayed the Lord with a kiss. And Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus had earlier called Judas the son of perdition. And here the son of perdition betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss. Jesus was arrested, taken away to his trial. A couple of weeks ago, we studied the three religious trials, one before Annas, then Caiaphas, and then the Sanhedrin in the early morning. Judas, apparently, the scripture doesn't say this, but apparently he was aware of what was going on. And for some reason, it surprises him that Jesus is condemned by the religious rulers. Apparently, that was not the way he expected things to turn out. But surely he watched as Jesus was mocked. He watched as Jesus was slapped across the face with open hands. He watched as Jesus was blindfolded and spat upon and maligned. He watched the entire illegal trial of the religious rulers against Jesus. He watched them condemn him. And he was responsible for the betrayal of the Savior and selling him out for 30 pieces of silver. A dollar, a dollar, and do I hear two? Two dollars can we have, and can I have three? Three dollars, three dollars, and who makes it four? Four dollars, four dollars, and who gives me five? Five dollars, five dollars, he'll give me ten, ten, and twenty, and who gives me more? I want the bidding to go higher still, for I covet, covet your silver right to my I now have 20, and that's not enough, for I'm selling God's Son. Give me now 30, and then the deed's done. And now the 30 pieces of silver was burning a hole in the money purse. He only began to see what his bargain was costing the Savior of the world. The day had just begun. And so now we want to consider his remorse and his death. And this is where we come to our passage this morning. That was a very long introduction to get to Matthew 27. But let's read it. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So this is now moving from the religious trial to the civil trial. 
Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they're the price of blood. And they consulted together and uh, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. In Acts 1.16, we actually read another account of this. It differs a little bit, and I'm going to explain the difference in a minute. After Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples gathered together and they said, you know what, we're short one disciple. We need to replace Judas. And so this is the event that was taking place then. So this is kind of a future look, um, uh, not, not before the crucifixion. Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. <clears throat> and later in that same passage, in verse 24, Acts one twenty-four, And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. When studying the events in the Gospels, we have to look at, we've looked at what each Gospel said in order to get the full picture. Here, if we put the, the passage from Matthew and Acts together, we get the full picture. Um, apparently, Judas was sorry for what happened. Not repentant, but just felt his conscience uh, pricked. The guilt of what he had done now plagued his mind. And so he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to give back to the chief priests and elders as if the silver would buy Jesus back. And they refused it. They wanted nothing to do with him. And he threw the money in the temple. That is actually the holy place where only the priest could go. And so he could not go back in there and retrieve the money. He threw it inside there. They would have to go and pick it up. Their response to him, what is that to us? You see to it. This is your problem now. They were so ready to bargain with him and to be part of what he had plotted before Jesus was arrested. But now that he has a guilty conscience, who cares? That your conscience is your problem, not ours. You know, take the money and run. You, you go away. And he threw it into the, the temple. 
They wanted nothing more to do with them. The money, the guilt, the results, that's your problem, not ours. They were completely unsympathetic to his plight. And that's the way sin is. It's glorious in prospect. It's hideous in retrospect. And Satan dangles temptation before us as if it is something desirable, something good. And he offers to us the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And how often we fall for the same worn-out lies over and over again from the deceiver. And when, he co- and when we come to our senses and we repent of our sins, our guilt, the results of our actions, he basically says, that's your problem. Don't talk to me about it. I had nothing to do with it. It's your choice. He has done his evil deed and he wants nothing more to do with you. You have become collateral damage and he is unsympathetic to your plight. What he offers in prospect is glorious, but in hindsight, it's hideous. Judas saw no way out, so he departed from the temple and he went and he hanged himself. He committed suicide. And the book of Acts tells us further details that apparently he used a rope or some kind of cloth wrapped it around a tree branch or something like that, which was hanging over a cliff. And when he hanged himself, either the rope or the cloth or the branch broke, and he went headlong over the cliff to the jagged rocks below, landing on his gut, and literally his guts spilled out onto the, onto the ground. And it became a field of blood. And that is what they know it as, um, at least at that time, as the field of blood. And that's, um, but he died by suicide. Now at the temple, the religious leaders now had a problem on their hands. They've got silver coins lying in the holy place and they've got to go fetch them. And now they're holding on to them. What are we going to do with this money? And they are so um, righteous that they don't want to put blood money into the temple treasury for that would be a sin against God. They had just used that money to crucify the Lord. But now they're acting righteous. And we can't use this money to support the temple. So we've got to do something else with it. What are we going to do? And they bought on behalf of Judas, in Judas' name, this field of blood where they um, buried people. The potter's field, exactly what was spoken of in the Old Testament. Peter said in Acts, Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. Some asked the question, was Judas saved? No. Judas was an apostate. Judas professed to know the Lord, but never he professed salvation, really, like the other disciples, but he, he, didn't, he never possessed salvation. And like I said earlier, it's amazing how close someone can be to the Lord and yet not be saved. Jesus said that Judas was the only disciple who was lost. He was the son of perdition, which is another way of saying that Judas was a son of the destroyer and suffered spiritual and eternal loss. Judas is given the name, uh, the same name as the Antichrist. Did you know that? The Antichrist is called the son of perdition, and Judas was as well. And Peter said that God's wrath is reserved until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 
And in Revelation, perdition is described as the destruction of the lake of fire. Judas went to his own place, which is the lake of fire. There is a judgment coming upon those who have never repented of their sin and have never trusted Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior. The words they will hear from the Lord are these, Depart from me, I never knew you. Into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Judas may rise up at the resurrection of the unjust to stand before the very one he betrayed uh, to take him to the cross. And he may even say something like this, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not heal the sick in your name? Did I not do all these wonderful works in your name? And Jesus will reply, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Death does not relieve guilt. His death sealed his eternal fate. And he will forever be in eternal torment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Judas went out and it was dark. And he will remain in the blackness of darkness forever. Very quickly, I want to look at warnings from the life of Judas. What can we learn from his life? What warnings should we take from his life? Some of these are very similar to something that, uh, a list actually that John MacArthur wrote in John 13. They're they're modified, but um, I thought it was helpful and I thought I'd share it with you. Judas exercised his free will to reject Jesus. Judas rejected the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ himself. And from Judas' life, it is clear that God has given man a free will, and Judas exercised his free will to reject the only Savior of mankind. Second, the danger of the love of money. Judas is a vivid illustration of the danger of the love of money. He was so caught up in the sin of avarice that he became a willing participant with Satan. At first, we read that he was a thief. He hardened his heart towards worshipers who were sacrificially giving to the Lord. Then he was called a devil. He saw Jesus as a commodity to be sold on the open market. Satan entered him not once, but twice, and Satan easily persuaded him to betray the Lord Jesus. This is the downward uh, spiral of those who love money, the danger of the love of money. Third, many profess faith, but not all possess saving faith. Judas should cause us to be alert to the fact that he may have been the first betrayer, but he certainly wasn't the last. Many profess faith, not all possess saving faith. And Paul emphasized self-examination to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 13:5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. It's important for us to know for sure that we have faith, saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, the warning of a hardened heart or a hardening of the heart. 
The story of Judas' betrayal is in stark contrast to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave him every opportunity to repent. And we see Judas harden his heart while Jesus is attempting to melt his heart with love. And even at the end when Jesus dipped the bread in the sauce and gave it to Judas, an act of friendship and love, Judas hardened his heart and went out to betray him. When Judas led the charge to arrest Jesus, Jesus questioned him, Judas, friend, he actually said, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? A friend. What a contrast. But you see the hardening over and over and over again in Judas' life. Sixth, hypocrisy is exposed. Ultimately, it is exposed. Judas' life shows the deception of hypocrisy. He moved among the disciples and acted just like one of them, but, and no one knew his true character. Yet at some point, and it's true of all hypocrites, at some point, hypocrites are exposed and great is their fall. And finally, it's important to know, and we've said this repeatedly as we've studied the, the events leading to the crucifixion, and it's true at the cross as well, that Jesus is in complete control. No one can thwart God's purposes and plans. Judas shows that even when a man is possessed by Satan himself, he cannot frustrate the purposes and plans of the sovereign will of God. Judas' gain was ultimately his own loss. Loss of life, loss of a future with God for all eternity. Satan's victory, Satan possessing him and, and, and possessing him to betray the Lord and lead him to death. Satan's victory, so-called, was actually Satan's defeat. God's will was still accomplished and, the, and salvation's plan was fulfilled by his death on the cross for your sins and mine. God's will God's purposes can never be thwarted. Praise the Lord. We are late in our time, so we will forego the closing hymn, which was going to be, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me, and really lead me to you, that I might really have a right relationship with the Lord. Let's just pray. Father, we tremble when we read about a man like Judas and his uh, betrayal of you, his hypocrisy, his love for money, and the hardening of his heart. And Lord, we pray that we would not be in any way like Judas. Lord, we pray as you asked us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we know that Satan... Uh, is alive and he uh, um, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Lord, his desire is to devour each one of us. We pray, Lord, that we might be uh, vigilant, uh, alert as to his devices and that we might not succumb to any of his advances, Lord. We pray that we would resist the devil and that he would flee from us. Lord, we pray as a body of believers that one um, of Satan's advocates may not ever come in and disrupt the peace of this assembly, disrupt the 
love of this assembly and to, love the per to, to disrupt the purposes that you intend for us here. Lord, guard our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.